All right, if you would go ahead and take out your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, to Exodus chapter 20. And if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, I encourage you to make use of one of the ones in the seats in front of you. Uh, If you happen to use one of those Bibles, you'll find our passage this morning on page 61, Exodus chapter 20. And in the very first verse, we read, And God spoke all these words, saying... But before we hear what God said, I want to make sure that we remember the context and that we set the scene. Because, as Pastor Merle just mentioned in his prayer, we have now arrived at one of the most important points in the whole Bible, at one of the most dramatic moments in all of human history. In our study of the book of Exodus, we have been walking with the nation of Israel through the wilderness. Earlier in Exodus, we watched as God rescued the Israelites from Egyptian slavery. We saw these astounding plagues fall upon the Egyptians. The the Nile turned to, to blood, frogs and locusts wreaking havoc, the people afflicted by boils and pitch darkness, and it all culminated in the death of the firstborn sons of Egypt. And then we witnessed the marvelous work of God as he split the Red Sea, and he delivered Israel out of Pharaoh's hands. In fact, he drowned Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea. And we expected, after Israel was delivered from Egypt, that they would head directly northeast, They would go towards Canaan, towards the land that was promised to their forefather Abraham. But in fact, they went the opposite direction. They went went south. Moses had been instructed by God to lead them in the opposite direction. He took them into the Sinai Desert, where they were utterly dependent upon God to provide water and food for thousands upon thousands of people and their livestock as they're going through, through desert. And they were headed here to this mountain. They were headed here to Mount Sinai where God had first appeared to Moses in a burning bush. And where God had revealed to him that he had an appointment to keep with the nation of Israel. And so in Exodus 19 where we've been the last several weeks we saw that preparations were made. God sent word through Moses that he intended to establish a covenant relationship with this people. They would be his people. and He would be their God. And so word was sent back up the mountain through Moses that Israel was prepared to enter into this covenant with God. And the terms would be very simple. God would lead Israel, provide for Israel, protect Israel. He would bless Israel. He would make her prosperous. And in return... Israel was to be faithful to the God who had saved her. Israel was to honor the God who had rescued her out of Egypt. Israel was to keep the ways of God. It wasn't a covenant of perfection. God made provision for Israel when they would sin. He was making a way through priesthood and through sacrifices for the relationship to be restored when sin got in the way. But the issue of the covenant was the heart. God was declaring that Israel was precious to him. And his requirement was that he 
be precious to them. Of course, this is the Almighty, the holy, holy, holy God in whose palm the entire universe sits. And God knew that even though Israel said that they, would, that they wanted this covenant, He knew that the hearts of the people of Israel were not full of faith, just the opposite. Even between the Red Sea and coming to Mount Sinai, all we've seen the people of Israel do is gripe and complain and doubt God and disbelieve God over and over. The tendency of the Israelites has been towards unbelief and rebellion and therefore to cause this people to have real reverence and all towards Him. To cause this people to wake up and to take his word seriously, God meets them at Mount Sinai with thunder and with lightning and with a thick cloud and a loud trumpet blast and fire and smoke and an earthquake that shakes the, the entire mountain. The people are gathered at the foot of this mountain. And they've been given strict, repeated instructions. Don't go through the cloud. Don't try and peek into the cloud to get a glimpse of God. Do not touch the mountain. It's now a holy place because God is there in special presence. And suddenly, from the mountain, out of the cloud, out of the fire, comes the audible voice of God. So you need to imagine this. You need to put yourself in the sandals of these Israelites. Put yourself at the foot of this mountain. In Deuteronomy 5, when Moses recounts this event for the next generation, he says, These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly. At the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness, with a loud voice. So this was a booming voice, a voice that shook the people to the depths of their souls. Have you ever been to a, a concert where the bass was so loud that it literally vibrated in your chest? That's kind of what I imagine this being like, as God speaks these commandments from the mountain. What did he say? He spoke the terms of the covenant. How is Israel to live as God's redeemed people. How is Israel to live as God's people now that they've been chosen and rescued and adopted by this mountain-shaking, holy, holy, holy God? How are they now to live? And these are the words that came from the mountain and reverberated through the people of Israel. So Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God 
On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. And therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And so those are the words that God spoke, booming audibly from this mountain. Now, Mount Hermon, I do want to ask that you be patient as we study this passage. Uh, Much like our time in Romans 8, uh, this passage will take us a little while. I believe it will be good for us. Uh, You may be fearing that this is going to be several weeks of me beating us over the head with the law. That is not my intention in these sermons. Uh, We will study these commands. We will study them from the perspective that they do have authority over our lives. And I do pray that we will feel guilt when we should and shame when we should to lead us to conviction and repentance and ultimately the grace of Christ. Ultimately, our study of these commandments is intended to help you see God in the commandments. To help you see his goodness. I want you to see the beauty of Jesus Christ our Savior in these commandments. Uh, I hope that these messages will help you be more amazed by the marvelous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ towards us. And since the role of pastors, according to Ephesians 4, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, I pray these messages will help you Have God's wisdom brought to bear on your everyday lives so that you can better shine in this world for His namesake. Every time we move into a new section of Scripture in a new series, I always come to you with the same request. Will you please join me in praying that God's Spirit would work in us through our time in this portion of His Word? Will you plead, even this morning, that God would do wondrous things among us Out of this passage of scripture. Ask God to save souls. Ask God to strengthen faith. Ask him to fan the flames of witness in our church. Pray that the ripple effects of a series like this one. Will impact thousands for the glory of God. Don't pray little prayers. Pray big prayers. And come each Sunday morning and each Sunday evening. Prayed up and ready to receive. What our loving God has for us from these verses. Now this morning, I simply want us to focus on one introductory truth about these 10 commandments. Rather than starting with the first commandment, I want us to think about the list as a whole and a truth that we learn from this list as a whole. And it is a truth that we need to hear if we're to gain what we should from this study. In one sense, it's an obvious truth, a simple truth, And yet, frankly, especially in our day, it's a truth we need to hear over and over and over again. And so here it is. God's people 
are to live their lives on the basis of fixed, objective principles and not fickle, subjective feelings. Let me say it again. God's people are to live their lives on the basis of fixed, objective principles and not fickle, subjective feelings. I want us to note that when God spoke to His people, fire, smoke, earthquake, and He speaks, Hear Israel, is how you are now to live as My people. He does not then say to them, Follow your heart. It's not what He says. He doesn't say, Do what makes you happy. He does not say, be who you are and let your inner self shine through. He does not say, take each circumstance as it comes and do what seems best in the moment. That's the advice often given in our day, in our culture, in the media, in academia. It's not new advice. It's as old as the serpent in the garden Pointing Eve to that piece of fruit and telling her to give in to her desire for it. To follow her feelings. That's the kind of counsel that often leads to destruction. But God is a loving father. Caring for this nation as his children and caring for us as his children. He gives us commandments. He gives us rock solid objective principles for our lives. These commandments are not simply words of advice to be considered in various circumstances. They are absolute laws. They are rules to be kept in every circumstance, no matter how we feel, no matter what our gut might be saying at the moment. Uh, These commandments are so absolute that God wrote them into stone so that we would understand their permanent and fixed nature. Again, this is really important because the people we live among every day, they don't live this way. We're still learning how to live this way. It's not natural for us. Even for us who have been Christians for a long time, we're still recovering from living an emotions-driven life. And we, we fall back into it pretty often, I think. I think the norm for most people in our society is to say what feels right in the moment. To entertain whatever thought happens to pop into our minds without practicing self-control. Without putting a filter there and evaluating, should I entertain this thought? I think the vast majority of Americans, the vast majority of the time, are living on the basis of fickle, subjective feelings. And often, this puts them into direct opposition with what God's principles would have them to do and who those principles would have them to be. Decisions made on the basis of feelings are often made on the basis of unsanctified feelings. The leadings of the flesh and the influence of the world. Satan knows That he doesn't usually have to tempt us with false arguments for sin. Satan doesn't come to us with logic to persuade us to sin. Far more often he comes straight for our feelings, straight for our desires, straight for our emotions. If I feel stung by what you said to me, I can find ways to justify why it's right for me to respond the way I want 
to respond. If I feel weary from a long day's work, then I can use that to justify why it's okay for me to put aside my moral objections to that TV show and just sit there and watch it. I know I shouldn't watch that show, but I'm tired. I'm too tired to even pick up the remote and change the channel. If I feel that my spouse has not treated me right, that I've gotten a raw deal in my marriage, suddenly that's permission for me to lust after other women. I excuse my actions based on my feelings. When life circumstances seem to have beaten me down, when I'm walking through severe trials, I feel it's okay for me to be inward focused. It's okay for me to be self-centered. I don't need to worry about the needs of other people around me. My own, my own trials are enough for me to handle. Right? Over and over in a thousand ways, we are led astray when we allow our lives to be ordered by our feelings rather than to be ordered by the fixed objective commandments of God. What does the Bible say? James 4, 17, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. 1 Peter 1, 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Psalm 119.30, David said, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. What is the way of faithfulness, David? David says, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. He said in Psalm 1 that the blessed man delights in the law of the Lord. On the law of God, he meditates day and night. 1 John 3.24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. Deuteronomy 4, 29 through 30, Know therefore today, lay it to heart, that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath there is no other, and therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Mount Hermon, are we learning to live our lives with conviction? Are we learning to conform our lives to the wisdom of God's commandments? Or are we following our fleshly feelings into disobedience and sin? I want to illustrate this truth for you. It's illustrated all over the Bible, but years ago I heard Pastor Gary Hendricks preach this truth from this passage, and I think it's a great example, so that's where I want to take us. Uh, 1 Samuel 13. So look at 1 Samuel 13, and let's just see this truth illustrated. We, we have here King Saul. Saul is the first king of Israel. He's a, a new king, and he's eager to show the people of Israel that he's a good king, that he's a strong king. That he's a king worthy of their trust. And like most ancient kings, if you want your people to follow you, if you want your people to trust you, this means proving you can lead them to victory in battle. And so Saul, his first challenge is against the Ammonites. And he leads the people of Israel to a great victory over the Ammonites. Now it's his second year as king. And he's getting restless. And he's looking for a fight. How can I show the people that I can lead them to victory? I need someone to fight. And so he, he has his son Jonathan lead a group of a thousand Israelite warriors against a garrison of Philistines in Geba. 
And it's an easy win because it was a completely unprovoked attack. It was a surprise attack. It was an unprovoked attack. And it made the Philistines very, very angry. And the next thing you know, here comes a massive Philistine army ready to respond, ready to attack Israel. So picture this Philistine army. We're told there were 30,000 chariots. 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen. We're told that the troops on foot were like the sand on the seashore. Saul's restlessness, his eagerness for a victory has now come back to bite him. We're told that the Hebrews, the, the Jews, have gotten so scared by this approaching Philistine army that they're hiding themselves in caves and holes. They're even hiding themselves in tombs and in wells. Those fighters who are still with Saul, only numbering two to 3,000. Two to 3,000 men left, and we're told that they're, they're basically trembling in their boots. And now the prophet Samuel is supposed to come and meet Saul at Gilgal, and he's supposed to perform a sacrifice. And through this burnt offering, Samuel would lead the people in asking for God to give them the battle, that somehow Israel might overcome this far more numerous Philistine army. Remember, only a priest, only a member of the tribe of Levi and a descendant of Aaron could perform this sacrifice on behalf of the people. God's commands on that were clear. And all others, including King Saul, are disqualified from making such a sacrifice. But the time comes for Samuel to arrive. And he's a no-show. He's not, he's not there. Saul had already waited seven days and, and Samuel isn't there. And every day he's getting reports of more Philistines gathering at Mishmash. Okay? The, the Philistine army is growing every day. And every day more Israelites are defecting. They're running away. His, his fighting crew is dwindling. At any moment, the Philistines are going to attack Saul at Gilgal. Humanly speaking, Saul's chances at victory are already desperately low, and they're diminishing with every passing hour. Where's Samuel? Where is Samuel? Why is he taking so long to get here? We've we got to make this sacrifice. We've got to get moving here. Put yourself in Saul's sandals. Right? Feel, feel his emotion. Feel his desire to prove himself a worthy king. Feel the desperation as more of his men leave while more and more Philistines are gathering. And it's not like burnt offerings are hard. All the supplies are right there. The sacrifice, the altar, the fire, everything he needs, it's all ready to go. And so what does Saul do? Well, instead of submitting himself to the fixed principles of God, he follows his feelings. His fear and his anxiety dictates his action, and he goes ahead and he offers the sacrifice himself. And do you remember what happens? Immediately, Samuel appears. What have you done? Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me, that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Mishmash, I, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. He forced himself. Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. 
For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. Why? Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Now, Herman, Saul simply wanted to secure his throne. He wanted to be respected by the people. He wanted God's blessing and victory and success. But when the going got tough, he followed his feelings instead of the clear commandment of God, and he lost it all. Even if Saul had needed to wait 70 more days, and every one of his army had deserted him, and it was him alone. Better to go out to face that Philistine army, having followed the commands of God, than to go out in disobedience without God's blessing. It is God who gives victory, whatever the odds. And by not keeping the commands of God, Saul lost God's blessing. He ultimately lost the throne itself. Friends, it is so easy for us to sit in this room and to say that we are followers of Jesus. But it is outside of this room that the rubber meets the road. It's when the cards are stacked against you. When, when everything within you is saying, go left, and your friends are saying, go left, and you know you're going to be mocked if you don't go left, but God's word says go right. And you have to decide. Are you going to follow your instinct? Are you going to follow your gut? Are you going to follow your heart and your impulse and your feelings? Or are you going to say, you know what? I follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Wherever He leads, I'll go. Are you willing to take control of your feelings? Feelings are a good thing. Emotions are a good thing. The Bible has a lot to say about the beauty of emotions. And we're to delight in the Lord. And it's a whole other sermon. I just want to keep balance here. Emotions are a good thing. And they serve a wonderful purpose. But are you willing to take control of them? To demand that your feelings and emotions submit to the commands of God. And that you trust Him and His ways more than how you feel. Will you be driven by your emotions or will you drive your emotions to find your joy and your security in faithful obedience to God? Frankly, none of us will get very far in Christian maturity until we learn to submit our emotional lives to the fixed standards of God's Word. And so now I simply want to apply this truth. Just a few moments of application. There are a thousand possible applications. I'm going to give you just a few examples. And then maybe that will help you as you seek to apply this to the various things going on in your life right now. So number one, think about the ninth commandment. That you shall not bear false witness. That we are to be truthful with our words. Could it be that sometimes you're in a conversation with others... And in order for you to look better in their eyes, you fudge the truth a little bit. Maybe when put on the spot about something, you, you know that if you told the whole truth exactly as it was, that would be a little bit embarrassing for you and that people might think less of you. And so instead of presenting the whole truth, you give a selectively edited version of the truth. Your details are not exactly accurate. You, you've changed the truth to protect yourself. 
maybe you don't want to get in trouble with your spouse, so you, you tell just a, a little lie. Just a little lie. What, what can be the big deal about that? Do we do that, church? When our God is a God of total truth and has said that lying lips are an abomination to His holy divine being, do you lie because of how you feel in that moment? Is your speech being ordered by the objective commands of God or is your speech being ordered by how you feel? Second application. Think about the tenth commandment. That we not covet. That we be content with what we have. Are you an impulse buyer? Rather than thinking through your true needs and wants, praying about big purchases, being thoughtful and careful with your finances, following God's principles of stewardship, do you make purchases based on impulse? Friends, how many people that are dear to us in our lives have made their lives significantly harder because of crushing debt from impulsive spending? If your financial decisions are driven by your feelings and desires rather than the commands of God, those decisions can come back to ruin you. They can wreck you and they can hurt your children and your grandchildren. They can affect future generations of your family. They can make you dependent upon the kindness of others so that you end up having to take away from their financial blessings. Wise financial decisions based on the principles of the Word of God can have ripple effects that serve many. But financial decisions based on covetous feelings, impulsive desires can have ripple effects that harm many. Is your spending being ordered by the objective commands of God? Third application. Think about the seventh commandment. That we not commit adultery. We know from Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount that that this commandment is about lust in the heart as well as the physical act of adultery. But how many people are led to commit sexual sin because they're driven by desire rather than conviction? How many young men and women who wanted their lives to count for Jesus suddenly found themselves crippled by guilt and shame because they could not wait for the day of marriage to enjoy the gift of sexual intimacy. And how many marriages have been torn apart and children hurt and friends lost because a married man or a married woman gave way to feelings of attraction to someone other than their spouse? For that matter, how many Christian young people have had their lives derailed from great blessings and great usefulness to Christ because their sexual desires led them to rush into marriage and they married an unbeliever and became unequally yoked and it had devastating consequences upon their lives. Friends, if you are led by your feelings rather than the objective commands of God, you will not be able to keep the seventh commandment. Fourth application. For this one, I'm going to speak directly to kids in the room. Kids in the room. By the way, that's all of us. We're all children, are we not? (laughs) But directly to the younger children as well. The fifth commandment. It teaches us to honor our parents. That can be hard sometimes. There are times, especially as you are getting older as a child, when you are sure your parents are wrong. 
You're sure they are. And there are times when it feels like your parents are being so unfair. There are times when you really, really want to do something and it would be so easy for you to do it, but your parents have said no and it feels so unfair. Kids, teenagers, are you being led by what you want and the strong feelings that you have? Or are you trusting God enough to say no to your feelings and to make yourself submit to your parents' wishes? Maybe your parents have told you that today is a no-screen day. We have those at our house. A no-screen day. And on no-screen days, you're to do your schoolwork and you're to do your chores. And then you can play outside. You can read a book. You can draw. But, but no screens. Right? You're not to watch TV. You're not to play video games. Watch YouTube videos on your phone. No, no screens. And yet mom and dad are both out in the yard. And you're in the house alone. And the television's right there. And no one will know if you turn it on. No one but you and God. There are the moments where you find out who you really are. These are the moments where, where your integrity is, is tested. Are you being led by your desires? Are you being led by your feelings? Or are you following God's principle to honor your parents? Last application. And since I spoke directly to kids, I'm going to speak directly to parents for this one. The first commandment says that we are to have no other gods before God. That we are to put nothing above God in our hearts, nothing above God in our affections. Parents, do you ever allow your love for your children to lead you into disobedience to God? When your children are disobedient and in need of discipline, do you obey God's word on that matter? Or do you allow your affection for your children to deter you from obedience to God? Loving God often means being willing to stand with God against your children for their sake. Frankly, true love for your children is driven by faithfulness to God's word in every matter of parenting rather than the ups and downs of parental affection. Could it be that any of us are making idols of our children? Setting our children above God, choosing not to hurt their feelings or to bring tension to our relationship with them, even when it means disregarding clear instruction from God. When it comes to the raising and training up of your children, are you being led by the fixed objective principles of God or are you being led by your emotions? We cannot obey the first commandment or any of the commandments if we are being led by unharnessed, uncontrolled emotions. And so let me close this way. First, be aware that on the day of accounting, the day of judgment, we will all be judged on the basis of these fixed objective principles. The commands of God and the Ten Commandments are the moral standard by which our lives will be assessed. Your feelings in the circumstance, your emotions in that situation, those will not be accepted by God as grounds for your disobedience. When Saul says before the throne of God, but God, the Philistines were mustering. My men were leaving me. Everything I needed was there. And I, I just, I felt, God, it was the right thing to do. I, I forced myself to do it, God. None of that will count as an excuse for his disobedience. He was called to trust God 
and to trust God enough to obey him even when it was hard. When our lives are put against the standard of the Ten Commandments on the last day, who in here will not be found wanting? When our lives are put against the standard of these Ten Commandments and we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, who of us will not be found guilty a million times over? None of us will stand. But dear friend, Jesus Christ came and fulfilled the law of God perfectly for us. He came as our substitute, doing for us what we could never do. And He was not led by His fleshly desires, but by total commitment to His Father, by His Father's will. There was no sin in Christ. He went to the cross. He took the punishment that sinners deserve in their place. Now, Herman, hear this as if you've never heard it before. When we believe on Jesus Christ, our sins, our every violation of the Ten Commandments is completely washed away. When you believe on Jesus, hell is removed from your future itinerary. Heaven takes its place and you are reconciled to God forever. Jesus is the great law keeper and he kept it for us. So that if we will simply surrender ourselves to him, cast ourselves on Him alone as our hope of heaven, He will bring us safely through the day of judgment into heaven itself. Yes, Mount Hermon, let us pray and resolve and work to order our lives according to the fixed principles of God's Word, but even more, let us believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it is only as we trust Him that we will be able to order our lives this way. If you haven't before, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Let's pray.